Welcome to the Mama Bear Apologetics Podcast. A podcast where we teach you to roar like a mother. And by roar, we mean recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach, and reinforce these ideas with your kids. Unless you want to growl around your house. I mean, that's cool too. <laughs> You're like, check it, we keep it reels. <laughs> that's so bad. You're awesome. Mama Bear Apologetics is a listener-supported program, so if you like what we do, head on over to the Mama Bear Apologetics website and click support. It's time to rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Hey, Mama Bears and Papa Bears. Before we dive into the podcast this week, here are this week's announcements. So several of us from the Mama Bear team just got back from the Women in Apologetics, aka WIA, conference out in California. It was awesome. We had women from all over the country who have a passion for apologetics all gathered together under the same roof just talking theology and worshiping. And we also had the WIA Kids program, which is unique to women in apologetics, where kids grades three through six learn about different apologetics topics. And this year's topic was the scientific evidences for design. Uh, And I'd say the best part of the conference would be getting to meet so many of the Mama Bear followers in person, people that we've only interacted with on Facebook. So that was a really amazing experience. Uh, The next scheduled Mama Bear speaking engagement will be at Grace Church in Eden Prairie, Minnesota on February 22nd, where I will be giving a half-day parent seminar going through some of the isms from the Mama Bear Apologetics book. So that's all the announcements for today, and without further ado, here is Amy's and my next installment in the Richard Dawkins series. Today's topic answers the question, do Christians think that atheists can't be good without God? This is a common misunderstanding in the atheist community, so Amy and I will discuss where this misnomer came from and how we can respond to someone making this claim. And welcome to another episode of Mama Bear Apologetics. I'm Hillary. And I'm Amy. And so I hope you had a good Christmas and good holidays. And so we are back doing the Richard Dawkins series on his book, Outgrowing God, which is a book that is intended to bring the atheist arguments down to a level for kids to understand, which I've heard that this is really similar to his other writings. So even though I think it's directed towards kids, I think it's still kind of the same, the same arguments that he's made in other things, but I think it's just kind of put in more kitty language. So yeah, there's more uh, nuance, more stories. Yeah. The title of the chapter that we're going over today is remind me what that is, Amy. It is do we need God in order to be good? Chapter five. Yep. So the title of this podcast is Do Christians Think Atheists Can't Be Good Without God? Because I think that actually kind of nails the point that he's trying to make in this chapter is not, I don't think he's necessarily saying that the Bible teaches this, but that Christians think this. And this is something that I think actually, let's be fair to him, I think some Christians do act like this is true. And we don't want to get into the whole discussion about no one's good, not even one. So we're, we're not talking really about the, the concept of like innate goodness, like a God level goodness, but more the idea of morality, which is really what this chapter is about is morality, right? Yes. So our thing is, do Christians think atheists can't be good without God? Because this, I think, is a major misunderstanding. This is something my husband has debated several times, and especially I would encourage anyone, and we'll put this in the podcast notes, to look up the debate at Texas A&M between my husband, John D. Ferrer, 
and another guy named Matt Dillahunty, which is on the concept of can, can man be good without God. And so again, bypassing the scriptural definition of good, we're talking more about morality. Can atheists do good things? And so one of the things that I noticed about this chapter is that Dawkins titles the chapter what he's talking about. He has a quote in the beginning that really defines this concept. And he has a quote at the very end of the chapter that reemphasizes that this is what he's talking about. And yet the whole time in between, that's not actually what he's talking about. He's kind of going through and making the Ten Commandments look stupid. Yeah. <laughs> in between everything else. So we're just going to go with what I think he, the point he was trying to get, the point he's trying to plant, shall we say, this little seed of an idea that he's trying to plant. Mm-hmm. And we're going to discuss whether or not it, it holds water. And we have a lot of big, fancy words that we're going to be talking about today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the quotes. And then Amy and I are going to discuss some of the vocabulary that we are going to be discussing in this podcast and trying to break it down. And then we're going to, you know, take a leaf out of the Mama Bear apologetics book and go the roar method for discerning these ideas. So here's the quote at the, or Amy, you want to read the quote for us at the beginning? Uh, and this would be technically recognize the message because I think this is essentially what he is, the point that he's trying to make. Yeah. So his point at the beginning of this chapter, it, he says it just very plainly. He says, I'm sorry to say that a lot of people seem to think that you need to believe in some sort of God, any kind of higher power in order to have any chance of being moral, of being good, or that without belief in a higher power, you have no basis for knowing right from wrong, good from bad, moral or from immoral. So that's, that's sort of the crux of this issue that he has. Yeah. And so this really is the thing. He, he's making two points here. Number one, and and his points are that this is what Christians are saying. And I want to be fair. I want to grant that I think there are some Christians who are saying this, but I think that they're saying it incorrectly. I think they're wrong. And so in that sense, I think Dawkins is right to claim that they're wrong on that. And that's the idea of in order to be moral, that we have to believe in a higher power. Do you think that's true, Amy? That it's true that that's what he's trying to say or that that actually has to happen? Do you think that that actually has to happen? Uh, no, no. And I think we see that actually demonstrated. You'll see it in the news. There are folks that, in fact, even Dawkins, he talks in here about how they've got an atheist sort of charity group that they go out and do amazing mm-hmm. things. So your, your beliefs on what you believe is right or wrong or whether or not you believe in God or not does not affect your ability to act morally. Exactly. And so I think this idea of saying that we're saying unless you have a God, you can't be moral. I think that's a straw man. And yeah. again, a uh, straw man is where you take to find straw man again. I, I'm having a hard, I'm having a hard time wording here. Straw man is basically where you're, you're taking an argument, but you're phrasing it incorrectly in a way that makes the argument sort of weaker. So you're able to take it out easier. So it's basically, instead of fighting a real guy, you're basically going and taking out a, a straw man out in the field. You're just going and attacking that when really you're sort of missing the point of what the argument yeah. actually is. Yeah, it's like constructing a scarecrow and then scarecrow, filming yourself that's what I was in this epic at. battle. <laughs> it's this epic battle with the scarecrow. Look, I totally kicked his butt. And it's like, yeah, it's a scarecrow. So that's the idea of a straw man argument is you take the argument and you kind of phrase it into something that is ridiculous or the people who espouse it don't actually believe. And again, in this case, I think there are some Christians who believe this fallaciously. Mm-hmm. But that is not actually what Christianity teaches. I think we're going to go through the idea that the law is written on man's hearts, and that doesn't matter. You can sear your conscience to where you can't hear it, but sociopaths and psychopaths aside, there are certain levels of morality that everybody knows. 
And you don't have to tell them, you don't have to teach them, you don't have to be like, hey, you shouldn't torture babies for fun. It's this thing that people innately know, yeah, you shouldn't do that. And so secondly, he says, or that without belief in a higher power, you have no basis for knowing right from wrong, good from bad, moral from immoral. And again, that goes back to, this is absolutely not what the Bible teaches, that it says that the law is written on our hearts. And so there is moral knowledge that we have that comes not because someone taught us, but because it's something that is built into us. Just even as fallen creatures, we, Christian or non-Christian, there is still the imago Dei, yes. the reflection of God in us. And you see that in Romans 2, 14 through 15. He says here, even when, indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they're a law. For themselves, even though they do not have the law, they show that the requirements mm. of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing or at other times defending them. So you do, you see this, this recognition even back then that this is built into you. So yeah, that's an excellent verse talking about how, yeah, there is something that even the Gentiles who don't have the law have part of that law written in them. And by Gentile, it meant the basically not Jew yeah. is what a Gentile was. So the, the, the non-Gentiles did not have the Ten Commandments that were given to them. They didn't have the law of Moses. So there is something to the Ten Commandments that I like to refer to as the law of reality. <laughs> and we're not going to get into that uh, in this. But I think if you really look at the Ten Commandments, you see moral facts displayed in that. And we're going to talk about moral facts in a bit. So I'm getting ahead of us. <laughs> anyway, okay, so <laughs> back to the Dawkins quote. And this is where he emphasizes kind of what we, we just read. He said, why should anyone think that you need God in order to be good? I can only think of two reasons, both bad ones. Without a book or rules, we wouldn't know what's right and what's wrong. The other possible reason is that people have such a low regard for humans that they think that we, politicians included, will only be good if somebody, God, if nobody else, is watching us. Mm. The theory of the great policeman in the sky, or to update it a bit, the great spy camera in the sky. And I just have to say, the great spy camera in the sky, have you watched the show, oh golly, was it Person of Interest? No, I don't think I've seen that one. If y'all haven't seen Person of Interest, this is, this is really the great spy camera in the sky. Actually, we're starting to see this happen over in China where people get, well, I'm getting totally off topic here, but people are getting social credit because these cameras are constantly watching them and telling, you know, saying this is what they're purchasing. This is what they're doing. If they see you knock over a little old lady, then you lose credit points That's and crazy. it affects your income. It's yeah, no, it's crazy. So anyway, we actually have that here. So that update of the great spy camera in the sky, not just science fiction anymore. Oh my goodness. So before we go into all of these, because there is a lot to unpack. I mean, those are two pretty short quotes, but there is a lot to unpack there. And again, this kind of goes along with what, what we see happening in this book is that he kind of drops this bombshell in something really small. Mm -hmm. And there's so much you can go into with just like a couple different sentences, but he has those all over. Thankfully, in this chapter, basically, it's like he has that at the beginning and end of the chapter and in the, in the middle, he just makes fun of the Ten Commandments. So I kind of came up with this idea of that if you want to make something sound unbelievable, make it sound silly. And tell me the the quote that you have from Rio that, well, and <laughs> that you, reminded you of. Yeah, and it's it's great because you see this stuff in uh, in kids' movies, and I love this. And part of Rio is these guys, these bumbling 
burglars, you know, were, were trying to explain why they had made this mistake. And they had, a, they had a little legitimate excuse. And he sort of repeated it back with this snarky tone. And uh, his response was, well, gosh, anything will sound stupid when you say it like that. And, uh, and, it's, <laughs> and it's true. I mean, you can, you can take almost anything, gosh, even theory of relativity. And if you have like a snarky little edge to your voice, I mean, you can make it sound dumb. And yeah, it just, it just made me laugh. It made me think of, of Rio there. So I think he kind of does that with the Ten Commandments. But again, we're not going to get into that one right now, just because I think that's almost like a, a side issue. I think the main crux of this chapter, he, he nailed it with the title is, can man be good without God? So, but we need to go through some of the, some of the vocabulary, which we'll try to give you the more exact definition. And then we'll try to give like a mama bear version of this definition that's a little bit easier to understand. So the first one is objective moral values. So Amy, tell us about objective moral, or should we just, should we describe objective versus subjective first? Yeah, sure. And okay. And we covered this in, in the mama bear book. So yeah. definitely get that one. So objective means that this standard exists outside of your preferences, your beliefs, and that sort of thing. I always think of Ben Shapiro's quote, you know, facts don't care about your feelings. And it, but it is, it's, it, when it's objective, it applies to everyone. It's this standard, especially with moral values. It's this standard of moral behavior that exists outside of your personal or your society's uh, sort of beliefs and ideas. Yeah. And this is kind of the concept of objective moral values means something that's true for everyone at all times in all places. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that needs to be explained. And that's kind of the thing that, that, that Dawkins doesn't really get into is the fact that you have to explain the existence. Yes. Of objective moral values, because we're going to we're going to later in the podcast, we're going to look at basically all the different ways that people try to get objective moral values and see, can can we get this without God? So it's not whether or not people can be good. It's not whether they can know good. It's how do they know it? Yes. How can they ground it? It's called the grounding problem. So let's get into the grounding problem. So the grounding problem is how do people ground what they believe to be true. So we talk about which one was justified true belief? William Lane Craig. Or no, oh yeah, that's epistemology. Sorry, Alvin Plantinga. He, he was the one, the really okay. big one that promoted that. So it's this idea of knowledge is justified true belief. And so we, what we have to do is how do we justify it and how do we know that it's true? So the idea of grounding is how do we ground these things? So atheists can be good and they can know good, but how do they know good? Because again, as we're going to go through in this podcast, all the alternatives besides an objective moral lawgiver, i.e. something outside of nature that actually imposes a standard, mm -hmm. all the explanations fall flat and you can justify almost anything. Yeah. That's the essence of the grounding problem is how do you, how, how do atheists, and this would also be called the moral problem, wouldn't it be? The problem of morality. And this is also the moral argument for God. So the moral argument for God is saying that objective moral values do, do exist. exist yeah. And basically, objective moral values can only exist if there's a moral lawgiver. Mm -hmm. Objective moral values exist, therefore there's a moral lawgiver. So that would just be the basic behind the moral argument for God. So the opposite for the atheist would be, how do you ground this? And that's the grounding problem. Yeah, which I think is what's really clever in, in his phrasing, because it is, it's a bit of a red herring, which means you're sort of distracting somebody to get them not to focus on what the real issue is. So he's saying that, well, there are some Christians who say that you can't be good without God. And it's, no, 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 no one's saying that you can't be good. It's no. how do you ground you this? Good, good. Yeah, yeah. What do you, or where do you get the standard of goodness? What do you base it on? And so mm -hmm. that's, that's the real issue. Yeah, it's not whether you can be good, it's how do you call good good. Yes. And you can't appeal to common sense. You can't appeal to nature. There's a lot of things you can't appeal to. And we're going to talk about that 
And and going into the idea, there's a phrase that we like to use. I learned this from my husband, and that's moral facts. And again, we talk about this in the Mama Bear book. It's I believe it's the relativism chapter where we talk about this concept of moral facts, where people put the idea of morals into the realm of values mm. of this is what I believe. That's what they believe. Mm-hmm. But a moral fact would be something that if you break it, it has just as many consequences. In fact, we have a quote about this in the Mama Bear book, and it's quoting Tim Keller's Reasons for God. when it says, if you violated the metaphysical order, there were consequences just as severe as if you violated the physical reality mm-hmm. by placing your hand in a fire. So if we were to look at natural facts, natural facts would be the idea, if I put my hand in a fire, I'm going to get burned. Mm. A moral fact would be the idea that if I disobey this aspect of the moral law, there are actual consequences. And this, again, takes me back to when I'm talking about the Ten Commandments that I think you could call this uh, the law of reality. And that would be the concept of moral facts. And facts, the idea, instead of saying moral values, saying moral facts is that this is not something that changes based on people's preferences. Yes. Yeah. It takes it out of that subjective realm. Cause when we think of values, oh, well, that's just what I give value to. There's, there's things mm-hmm. in my house that, that I value that may not be valuable to somebody else, but it's mainly because it's, it's just my personal preference. And so yeah. it, is, it is important to take out that or remove that sort of shelving of it up on that value sphere because then people do they say well that's just your opinion and i'm sure you know mm-hmm. if, if you've been a christian for long and talking to any atheists or skeptics you'll hear that quite often yeah and honestly i think that the battle was lost when we started talking about the concept between objective truth and subjective truth and i, I wish that i'd gotten into this in the book and i kind of was coming to this conclusion while we were writing it and i didn't include this and i, and I wish i had that basically i want to get rid of the phrase subjective truth and objective truth. I think there just needs to be truth and preference. To claim that there's something is is subjectively true is to claim that something's not really true. And I think that's where we kind of lost the battle, Mm -hmm. but that's kind of a side note. And well, and you see it too, Uh, someone will say, well, this is a true fact. And it's it's so redundant. You can't have a true non-fact. It's a fact. fact. Yeah, it's it's a fact (laughs) fact, you know, so. It's a factual fact. Yeah, it's like, really? Do we need to specify that? So, okay, that would be going through objective moral values. That would be going through moral facts. That would be going through the grounding problem. And so two big fancy words that a lot of times you'll see in philosophy programs are metaphysics and epistemology, which I always get confused with those trying to remember what they are. So the idea of metaphysical is just what makes up reality. So basically, I I kind of boiled this down to a really simple statement. What makes stuff what it is? Yes. So like kind of to explain that a little. Yeah. So metaphysical, it, it basically means before the physical. So it's all those things that you just can't stick in a test tube. It can even, it's talked about as properties. So like when you, when you look at something like the Empire State Building, they have physical attributes. It's, it's metal, it's glass, there's cables and wires running up through it. Those are the physical things. But then you have mm-hmm. metaphysical attributes, which are design. It has intention. It, it has tallness. You know, so these are metaphysical attributes that it has. So they do exist alongside. And again, this is debated too within realms of philosophy, whether or not these sorts of things do exist. We would say that, yes, these sort of attributes, metaphysical properties do in fact exist. So again, what makes stuff what it is? That's our metaphysics, <laughs> the simple explanation. And then epistemology. So give, give us the fancy definition and then I'll boil it down. Well, luckily, <laughs> this definition is fairly short. So epistemology is basically the theory and the study of knowledge. It what what it makes something justified true belief or what makes it an opinion? How do you truly know something? 
It's a big study just on the study of knowledge. This one, I would boil it down to saying, how do we know what we know? And this would be, I think, what what is one of the basic problems within this idea of can man be good without God? Or instead of saying that, that again, that I think that's the wrong question. The right question is, can man know what's good without God? Or how, no, no, not even can he. We know that he can. How does man know something's good without God? Yes. And that's that's where we get to the epistemology. How do we know what we know? Because you have to have an origin for what you believe. Otherwise, if we're just going the evolutionary route, we're just believing stuff that conferred survival. Survival does not mean truth. It just means survival. But if we're wanting to call something true, to say that it has no, no basis in survivability, then we have to go outside of nature. So then the last two that we want to talk about are something called consequentialism and pragmatism. And these are different ways that people try to determine if something's good. So let's let's break down the word consequentialism. Think about the word consequence. Mm. What are the consequences to this? So this is kind of the idea of saying this is a, a, the ends would you say this is the ends justify the means? Yeah, pretty much. It's basically it's it's good if the outcome is good. So as long as yeah. as long as you can achieve your goal then it really doesn't matter how you got there. Yeah, the ends justify the means, what's the consequence and the, the next one was pragmatism of the idea, it's good if it works. Mm. Like, what's pragmatic? What works best? And these are, I would say these are pretty similar in some ways, because usually what works would be, which outcome do I want? But the, yeah. there's, there's subtle differences in, in philosophy, which we won't go into. But we want you to be aware of these words. So th- that's going to be kind of the basis for our discussion today, is these different topics, because we need to look at what are all the different options for calling good good because that is the heart that is the crux of the problem so again we're going to go for the roar method here so we recognize the message so the message that in in this chapter which is chapter five of the richard dawkins book these ideas that dawkins giving that that man either can't be good without god or he can't know good without god and again that is the message that he's trying to peddle here and say that that's what christians believe that's what the bible teaches and we would disagree with that So next, we're going to move to our offer discernment. And as we all know, for everyone who's read the book and offer discernment, we always need to start out with the things that we agree with. So Amy, what are some of the things that he said in this chapter that we're like, yeah, we can totally agree with that? I think the most obvious is that atheists can be moral. Yes, they can. In fact, I've known some, I'm sure everybody has, to where there are atheists out there that actually put Christians to shame with how loving, Mm -hmm. how patient, how kind. I mean, they just exemplify 1 Corinthians on what love truly is, but yet they deny the existence of God. And so so we totally agree with Dawkins that atheists can, in fact, be moral and are, are moral. And in fact, so there's this fun fact, there's a difference between the kind of witchcraft version of Satanism and the philosophical version of Satanism. Really? The Anton LaVey, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that there's a certain type of Satanism that really is just glorified humanism. Mm. And it's not, so you have the people that are in the witchcraft Satanism where they're literally dabbling in the occult. Mm, Okay. And then you have the ones that are kind of more the philosophical Satanism, which would be the Anton LaVey kind of Satanism, where Satan is more like a symbol for the anti-God and it's not an actual person that they're worshiping. And their their whole thing is, is this kind of humanism where... You do what's good for mankind. You do what's moral. You you do what helps society. It's very, again, very pragmatic, yeah. but it rejects God. And so you will find sometimes people that are self-avowed Satanists 
that are very good, like from the outside looking in are very good and moral people. Mm -hmm. I mean, who knows what's going on in the heart? We can't talk about that. But from the outside looking in, it's a very moral system. And that would be based somewhat in humanism. Mm -hmm. So again, we can absolutely hold arms with Dawkins and say, yeah, that's wrong that people say that because we, we have observed it. And again, not getting into the debate of what of the, you know, there's no one good, not even one that is, what is that? It's Roman something, right? Uh, I would have to look it up. Okay. We'll have, we'll have Hillary Short add that into the, add that into the podcast notes. So yeah, we're not talking about that kind of goodness. We're just talking about morality. And then you brought up the idea of the idea of atheists being philanthropic, that there are, you know, I I would say that there are more Christian organizations that are doing philanthropy than non-Christian organizations, but they do exist. Yes. Well, and so a lot we of time they can even they, they can even have a little more wealth behind it because I'm I'm thinking of you know when you think of Hollywood and and some of these folks there especially with Hollywood and, and that sort of, there are a lot that are or like not, the Gates Foundation yeah the Gaines Foundation I mean lots of money behind there so it's not necessarily like well they're more moral because there's more money but I mean they do have almost more of a financial presence because a lot of these folks you know they, they don't believe but they're they donate quite a bit of money to folks in need yeah. So another one that that Dawkins points out in here, and I think it's really good, is he says, my friend, the philosopher Daniel Dennett, who we talk about in the skepticism chapter, we talk about Dawkins and Dennett in the skepticism chapter. My friend, the philosopher Daniel Dennett calls it belief in belief, Hmm. not believing in God, but believing that belief in God is a good thing. Have you heard that before? You know, I have, and I can, I can almost... I want to say that I've actually heard people who who have said this in some form that saying, well, you know, just just believe in God is good. It's, again, it sort of whittles it down to, well, as long as you have good intentions, then that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's that pragmatism. I would say that the misuse of, I, so I called Melissa Kane Travis and asked her to explain the real true version of Pascal's wager. Oh, <laughs> So the idea of Pascal's wager is that even if there is not a God, what do we have to lose? If you believe in God, it makes you kind of more moral and good and all those things. And then if he does exist, you've gained everything. But if he doesn't exist, you haven't lost anything, which I think is a horrible argument. (laughs) Just because not a good way to win people. uh, Yeah, no, if you're a Christian, and you're not losing out on some stuff, I don't think you're doing Christianity, right? There is a lot of things I would do differently. If I were not a Christian, I would not be working for I don't know, should I share this? I would not be working for $500 a month working full time doing a ministry that is, you know, there's a lot of things I would do differently. I would for sure be in a job that made a lot more money right. than what I'm doing right now. And if I weren't a Christian and the fact that I'm focusing my whole life on defending the concepts of Christianity. Yeah, I, I like how Paul talks about it, where if Christianity is not true, we are to be pitied as fools yes. because we're just like basically the dumbest people in the whole world. So this idea that you don't lose anything if you follow God just in case mm-hmm. is like, uh, I don't think that really jives with historic Christianity, especially all the gladiator stuff that went on and the, the yeah. you know, the throwing the Christians to the lions, you know. So if you'd said that to them, I'm sure they'd be like, well, actually, we're kind of missing out. Anyway, so this idea that believing, that belief in belief is a good thing. It, it's something that, you know, the phrase that I hear echoed on so many movies, which can you think of what it is? Oh, it's the thought that counts. Is that what comes to your mind? But I, that's a good one. I think it's just have faith. Oh gosh. Yes. Just have faith. Well, what was it? Okay, Even on a what? Polar Express, because of course for Christmas, we just had Christmas season. So my, my train obsessed son is watching Polar Express. And at the end of it, 
he says, you know, it, it doesn't matter what train you get on, just get on board. And it's like, come yeah. on, Tom Hanks, let's go. Well, Tom, <laughs> conductor man. Yep. So I would say that both uh, Daniel Dennett and Dawkins are right on this one as, as well. Just this idea that it's not that God is good and believing as God is good, but belief in believing. You know, that's, you know, faith in faith. Yeah. Or faith in faith. That's just, it's, I don't even know. It doesn't make sense. Another really good point that I thought he used, and we have actually interacted with someone on Mama Bear on this, is this idea of using hell as a scare tactic. Do people even do that anymore? Like when I when I hear that, I think of, you know, like the the 30s and 40s, you know, when they would go have those tent revivals, hellfire and brimstone, brimstone, you know, they're waving their Bibles. That to me is kind of surprising nowadays. Like I didn't know that people still sort of did that or appealed to that. They do. And I know that they do because I have these people contact me. I think it might have been the article that I did on how Dawkins' new book is capitalizing on our inability to think critically Mm -hmm. that I actually had a woman who uh, she, she goes by Janet Deconverted that I really think, I mean, just had a traumatizing experience Mm. with being told, if you don't believe you're going to burn in hell. And that is absolutely not the route that Jesus took. Right. It's one of those things where we can't get around it. We can't not talk about it, Right. but we don't scare people into the kingdom. It would be the idea of if John had proposed to me and said, you have to marry me because unless you do, you're going to end up an old spinster. No one's going to love you like I will. And no one's going to understand you. And you're never going to be happy. And you're just going to be miserable for the rest of your life. Will you marry me? Yeah, that's not that. That's not the good way to go. <laughs> no, that's not the good way to go. And so it, it's like it does talk in scripture about how the church is the bride of Christ. Yes. And so if we're trying to make that kind of proposal, you know, you need to believe or else you're going to burn in hell for all eternity. That's, you know, it very may well be that had I not married John, that who knows if I would have found the right person. I do believe that unless I'd married John, I don't think I would be doing this ministry. Mm-hmm. That he saw this ministry almost, uh, not, not, not this particular one, but he saw gifts and strengths in me. And he actually did say this to I can't remember if he said it to my parents, but he said, I, I feel like unless I marry her, no other guy is going to be able to appreciate to the depth of what she has. Aw. But that's sweet, though. And He's saying, like, no one's going to love you like I'm going to love you. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It was funny. When I told my parents this, my mom's like, that's manipulative. <laughs> and my dad looks at her and goes, Alice, he's totally right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dad. my dad understands me. This idea of the... Christianity is not about believe in this or burn forever. Mm -hmm. It's more like, I love you. I'm pursuing Mm -hmm. you. I want you. This is, I died for you. I will do anything for you. And unfortunately, without me, this is what life looks like without me. This is what eternity looks like without me. And I don't want that for you. But starting with that would be as bad as the pr- the fake proposal that I just postulated, which if, if you're a guy out there thinking of that, taking that route, let's just say hard pass on that <laughs> one. <laughs> so these are the things that we can agree with, with Dawkins here. Because again, we want to always be able to recognize the things that we agree with. Yes. So the things that we disagree with, which I'm going to go through these real quickly, because we really want to get into the crux. So here's some of the things I disagree with. And one of them was the idea of calling oneself a Christian makes someone a Christian. I think this is the classic example of how you can make Christianity say anything you want as long as you're listening to Christians yeah. or people who call themselves Christians. So I think there's a difference between, and, and someone might say this is the no true Scotsman fallacy, mm-hmm. but the difference with that, so 
Uh, Amy, remind us what the No True Scotsman fallacy is. No True Scotsman, that's where people say, uh, oh, well, you aren't a true football fan unless you watch it every single Saturday, Monday, Friday, you know, pretty much every day but Tuesday of the the night of the week. It's basically saying you're (laughs) not truly X unless you do these things or unless you believe these things. Obviously, there there are cases where that doesn't, and that's totally inaccurate, so... And so if we could say, well, you know, there's a lot of people that call themselves Christians, but they're not true Christians. Someone could say, well, you're following the no true Scotsman fallacy. But I would disagree because I think that we do actually have kind of a, there's no manual anywhere that defines what you have to do, like you said, to be a football fan. Or uh, for the Scotsman, I think it was like, you know, there was some political thing going on that they said that, you know, if you don't agree with this political thing, then you're not a real Scotsman. Mm. As if you couldn't disagree with it. So, I mean, there, there's no set rules when it comes to what defines you as Scottish or what defines you as a football fan or whatever. But there is a set of things that define you as a Christian. Yes. So we actually have a, a, a measure of saying this is what Christians claim to believe. And if you're not abiding by those, then no, you're not a true Christian. So I don't think it's a fallacy. This is, this, this is just... It is what it is. It is what it is, yeah. So the second thing I would disagree with him on is he said, the Bible is meant to provide us with good role models, admired characters like God or Jesus, whom we should imitate. So we'll say I agree with the God and Jesus part, but based on the last podcast that we did on the Old Testament, would you say that, I would even say especially the Old Testament, is this a record of people we should imitate? No, these are, this is a, I mean, gosh. I'm, I'm thinking everybody, or not everybody, but most people within the Bible, they have serious character flaws that you're supposed to imitate the godly characteristics in each person, but not the persons themselves. So there's no yeah. one person that's perfect. I mean, even David, who, you know, God is, is, praises him as a man after his own heart. You know, he orchestrated the murder of his lover just so he could marry her and cover up their their pregnancy. And so, I mean, yeah, we, we, have to, we have to be careful there when we say that we've got to be just yeah. like them. I mean, I really think it's like, I think I came to this conclusion when we were studying for the Child Sacrifice podcast that really the Old Testament is like a history of failure to failure. Yes. And the idea of thinking that this is the prescriptive versus the descriptive, mm-hmm. like this is prescribing what we should do. I don't think that's good. So I, th- I think that if you're taking it as that the Bible is meant to provide role models and everybody in the Bible is a role model, I would reject the Bible and Christianity as well. So, so, but I don't think that's what it is. Well, and even just the fact that it's, oh, it's role models. He's just a nice guy. Jesus is just a good uh, guru, you know, a nice teacher and everything. It's really trying to steal that, that divinity uh, from God, as well as the fact that it is truth in there. It's just, oh, well, this is just something you should strive to. Not that, no, this mm-hmm. is truth. And uh, we yeah. need to be seeking after this. And actually, he does say that in the chapter that he thinks Jesus is a great guy. But again, this that takes us back to C.S. Lewis's trilemma of who was Jesus? Was he liar, lord, or lunatic? Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to say he's a great guy, but he claimed to be God and forgive sins, that's not a great guy. And either he believed that was true and it wasn't, in which case he's crazy, mm-hmm. a lunatic, or he knew it wasn't true, but he said it was, which makes him a liar. Mm-hmm. But making him a good teacher is not an option. So those are the things I would say I disagreed with in this chapter. And I am looking at the timestamp right now, Amy, and it looks like we're only going to get through the uh, recognize the message and offer discernment today. So we're going to, we're going to actually turn this into a two part podcast and 
the second podcast, we're going to be really going into the the meat and the crux. It's like we kind of needed to give an intro to this topic, would you say? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's important when you have topics like this. You really want to give a fair presentation of what the other people are saying, just so that there's no misconceptions and that sort of thing. So yeah, this was definitely necessary. And I think that just kind of framing this problem of where it's coming from, again, in the next podcast, we'll review the vocabulary that we went through and kind of review what we talked about. Let's really get into the the meat of the problem in the next one so we can really hash that out in a way that's understandable. Yeah, we're going to get that healthier approach, but we're also going to equip you guys with a couple ways that you can help communicate this with kids because sometimes this can be a little heady. So we've got a few things that are just really practical and accessible for the little ones to really help you pass this along. Absolutely. So Amy, would you like to pray us out for this one? Dear Lord, we thank you that we can gather together and to learn about morality and things because this is this is just not only in our news with our friends with our families this is a struggle is how do we know what is right how do we know what is good how do we ground that lord and when we start looking at all of the available options as paul copen points out christianity provides the best answer and that goodness is grounded in the nature of god the nature of your nature lord and so we thank you that we can gather and learn about this we pray for the parents who are listening that they are they've been able to grow from this and that they're going to be able to help communicate to their kiddos. I pray, Lord, that through the rest of this week, as as they've listened to this podcast, that you start putting things in front of these folks so that they start recognizing these terms, these, these beliefs, these teachings regarding morality. So that way they can start just reinforcing it and start incorporating it into their lessons with their kiddos. And thank you, Lord, for every moment that you give us together. In your holy name, amen. Amen. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. We hope you learned a little more about how to sift through ideas, accept the good, reject the bad, and now you can go teach your kids to do the same. Do you have any questions or maybe some ideas about future podcast episodes? Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we'll do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, mama bears. We are all in this together.